Hi, Kushagra. Hi, Kudad. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm great as well. Thank you. How's everything going? Everything's going good. What about you? Great. Thanks. Um, how's you? You were in Madrid for some time. Yeah, I did my masters in sports law from Madrid. It was a ten-month course, but of course, the physical physical option was cut down due to the pandemic. Most of it was done uh, in Madrid only, but the last three months, because of the pandemic, I had to come back home. So I did that part from home. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that that's about it. I've 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 missed a lot because of the pandemic during my masters. And when I say I missed a lot, that means a little bit of the practical experience and some of the fancy stuff that was supposed to be in the masters, but the educational part was all good. That was not hampered, so that's good. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So, um, do you have a sports background? Did you play any sports when uh, you were growing up? I did play sports when I was growing up. Uh, I used to play a lot of football. It started when I was pretty young. There was this. I started in Delhi Public School, Ghazabad. So we used to have this cricket academy post school. So as every kid, you know, parents trying to send you into extracurricular and try to put you to everything. They just put me in that cricket academy as well. Little did they know I would take it a little too seriously. Mm-hmm. So I started devoting a lot more time to that. And then at a point it came that it was again struggling my study. So I had to cut short. that But then again while growing up i started playing football there was another uh, football academy that popped up in our school uh, there the coaches were amazing there were uh, uh, sai approved coaches or different approved coaches we had they had their own academy in our school so i joined that i was in 8th standard by 9th standard one year later i was representing my school teams for interstate competition that is how by deep interest you know something that i could take forward we started so again 8 9 10 11 12 i represented my state not beyond that of course but i used to play a lot of inter school and inter state tournaments as well and mm-hmm. then after that again it oh, again i was actually not able to balance as one should in 11th and 12th standards which are super important so that cut me short and then i had to choose I personally thought I had to choose between either playing professionally or you know taking the educational path. And to me, at that point of time, it made sense to take the educational path. And I cut down my playing time and just forgot everything, you know, to make a career out of playing it. It was just a superficial thought. I knew it wouldn't happen, but you know, you have that thing as a dream, as a kid, that no, I may, I can't do it. Right. But that's just about it. I went. I went into law, and that's it. I did my bachelor's from law, hmm. from Amity Law School. Yeah, that's it. How many years was that? That was four years. That's a four-year or five-year degree. That's a five-year program. That five it was a BLLB program, and it's a five-year program. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. So and then so that law is that's a general. It's a general law uh, program, right? Yeah, it's it's a general law degree. Uh, that more, I think most of the pass outs are now opting for that. It's a five-year law degree. It gives you 
you have options you can do bllb or bba or bcom i did the ba one mm-hmm. and honestly i was just running out of maths mm-hmm. i i didn't math so i just took the ba one not the bcom one i just did that bllb it is a five year course you specialize or you study all areas of indian law in the last two years you choose your own specialization and the one way you want to go some people chose ip some people chose international i chose corporate law so i for the last two years i specialized in corporate law and probably towards the end of my fifth year when my fourth was ending actually not towards the end of fifth towards the end of fourth i thought i had to do something about my interest in sports mm. that's when the whole cycle started again okay okay so then you uh, then you decide to apply to uh, real madrid what's the what's the name of the university called real madrid escuela or something right oh so the spanish version says escuela universitaria real madrid europea but just for simpler terms it's real madrid graduate school okay perfect so so uh, it was my final year at the at the end of fourth year i decided that okay i have to do something about sports mm-hmm. i can't sit like this you know because you just when you in your college and you're coming home every time you're thinking right okay now i have to watch this now i'm reading up on sports every just mm. subconsciously it's going on with you yeah. and even consciously as well i'm watching i'm talking with my friends so i dis- i discovered i looked for things and i found that you know there is actually something called sports law and even today when i meet a lot of people they tell me oh is there something called sports law and mm. i don't blame them because it was me myself who discovered at the end at somewhere around the end of my fourth year that there is actually something called sports law mm. so i looked into that i researched a little bit more upon it you know talked to some people who actually had done courses from different universities across the world i looked for programs in india because i knew going abroad was super expensive mm. and coming from a middle class family luckily my parents could afford it but i knew it wasn't something that you know it, it wasn't an expense that would be like okay just went by it right. would take a hit right so i was looking something firstly in india but nothing popped up at that time in sports law mm. management of course but law was not the case so then i found a few universities talked went to so many fairs where you know they bring in universities from outside their reps and they make you talk to them so it took me probably around 8 to 9 months to finalize the university i talked to so many universities so many alumni from each university find the budgets and everything it took me around 8 to 9 months and after that i just applied to this university and uh, it was around april 20 yeah it was february january or february around 2019 uh, when i actually started my official application procedure and i was in madrid by october interesting okay okay so i have a couple of questions uh, around this so in india i have noticed that there are sports management programs that have sports law as a module where there are quite a few yeah, uh, courses so but uh, is it so i'm assuming that since you've done a 10 month course the the course is much broader than the stuff that they probably try and cover in a month or two in the sports management course yes of course because when you're doing management they're covering all aspects of your management and because even when you go into management 
uh, the law part may kick in sometime in your future. So mm-hmm. you should know about that. But when you're doing purely sports law, it's all about the legal aspect. It's all about the FIFA statutes. It's all about the anti-doping statutes. It's all about the relationship. So every major organization, let it be the court of arbitration for sport, you know, the FIFA headquarters, all of them are set up in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. So you learn a lot of Swiss law. You learn a lot of the relationship between national federations and international federations, which are, for example, uh, the BCCI, which is a national federation, and the ICC, which is an international federation. So you learn the relationship between them, how the relationship goes and how it affects, how it is affected by your local laws, the law of the land, and then the international laws. So there was a lot of this stuff, and they just dive deep into every aspect of sports law with, of course, because it's, Real Madrid University, so 60% of the program is you know, structured around uh, football, but then they do cover, they do cover other sports as well. They do cover a lot of NBA, they do cover Formula One, mm-hmm. a little bit of tennis, of course, and yeah, but obviously 60% of that is focused around football, but then what they tell you, uh, the knowledge is transferable because the procedure of law is same. Okay. Okay. So... Yeah, so this, I, I guess people may have that uh, concern, uh, I mean, doubt as well, because in general, if you want to, if you want to pursue a law degree in India, you'd want, uh, you either pursue it in India, but then you can't really work abroad, right? And you have to give the bar or whatever abroad as well. You have to study there. and But with regards to sports law, you can implement it uh, in other in any country you want right you can get uh, hired or you can you know ask us to be you know get asked to be work uh, working as a consultant or anything in any country right yes of course uh because sports law is something that you know it's the same everywhere in the world every country playing the same sport has to abide by the same rules if, if you're playing cricket or football here if you're playing cricket or football in the us or even in africa in China, anywhere in the world, you're playing the same sports by the same rules. Mm. So someone and every every case or every appeal is going straight back to the headquarters or the main official body of the sport. Or if it's football, it's all going to the CAS. If it's cricket, it's all all the appeals are going to CAS. So you you need to know the procedure. You need to know how it goes. But that that's very very true but at some point of time there comes a little bit of a constraint when if someone some law firm let's say because i'm i'm licensed to practice in india correct right but now someone someone in the us is looking for a sports lawyer they would much rather prefer someone who's actually registered uh in any state bar of the united states Mm, right that is one thing they would actually prefer someone but then if you're told, if you're exceptional, they will still take you because you can do the other stuff. You, you, just, you just can't appear in court for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. But you can do all the drafting, you can prepare arguments, you know, you can do everything up except appear in court. But that, uh, th- that being said, it takes a financial hit as well. But then again, because you're not licensed in that country, you would, of course, there will mm-hmm. be pros and cons of both. But then yeah. again, without having a license, you're still being able to work in the law field of that country. It's just pros and cons. Right, 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 right. So you were saying this, there were hardly or in fact no specialized course on uh, around sports law in India, right? I mean, uh, as far as the yeah. amount of research you did at the time of applying. But then how have these, um, these Indian... Uh, 
associations, these uh, government bodies that work in sport been, uh, how have they been functioning with normal lawyers? I mean, since there was no nobody uh, specific to sports law. So by 2019, when I was doing my research, there was this one university in Gujarat, I forget the name. They were offering a diploma course that was something like a month or two in sports law. And that that was as close as they come to sports offering sports law educational path in India. I am not sure if anything has changed yet, but if it has, it's amazing. Uh, so I think uh, the people I looked up at the time were working in the sports law aspect were mostly people, mostly, not all of them, of course, but mostly were someone who's a tax lawyer. So they built their way through into the sports industry over the, over the years through their hard work. And now they were working in the tax ma management of athletes as well. So the special, very, because see, even if you go today, a lot of, in India, a lot of cases are actually not going abroad. Hmm. Okay. When I say cases going to court of arbitration of sport, a lot of them are not going. The first reason being is that when you compare the fees to Swiss francs, and you, you from Indian rupees are going to Swiss francs, it'll take a hit. So that aspect does kick in a little, but again, people still people working in Indian sports law, there were a few professionals uh, who had acquired knowledge by themselves through sports law. Uh, there is another university uh, in the UK. I think it was Nottingham Trent. I found a few people who had done that sports law from there as well. They had, there were obviously sports lawyers who have done the other courses as well from abroad. There's another university in Barcelona, is day. So there were people who have done that course before abroad. But let's just say the, the established professionals who are probably 45, 50 years old or 40 years old, most of them, again, most of them had built them into the sports industry through the normal practice of law, mm -hmm. through other aspects of law, be it corporate, you know, be it tax, be it IP, all of that. Right. But now, because of the uh, branding of these courses, the amount of people that have increased ex exposure that have through with these universities, a lot of people are opting for the professional, uh, you know, professional courses. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So in general, what are some of the aspects sports law covers? Uh sports law covers uh how that's a very, very broad question. So as a sports lawyer working anywhere in India or anywhere across the world, the first thing is uh you know, drafting contracts of athletes. I'm a sports lawyer. I'm working with a law firm. We have clients. So what we're doing, they have their, uh, they have their contracts. You know, you hear all these rumors that this guy signing this contract, Jalen Sancho is getting this contract, he's getting that many. We have nothing to do with the negotiations. That's all the agency says. All you have to do, yeah, all we do as a lawyer is we draft that contract. We put every single thing in there agreed so that it doesn't backfire. I'm working for the athlete. I'm making sure that everything's written over there the way I want it to so that it doesn't backfire me. Of course, the other party has laws as well. So we all mutually sit down. We uh, agree the terms and conditions. So we, uh, one thing is we drop the contract. The other thing is when any case appears, you know, there are contractual issues everywhere in the world. So 
you fight those contractual cases you you prepare drafts you put up arguments in courts and these these courts can be either the national arbitration forums of whichever country that it is in or the agreement was signed it's all drafted in the contract that you know any dispute of this sort goes to this court or it just goes to that so we put up those arguments normal court trial procedures but all pertaining to sport uh then again we all the sponsorship agreements you get all the contractual part you know you get you get athletes getting sponsors all of that everything they get we draft those contracts we maintain those contracts we see the compliance to those contracts all of that stuff it's all about what the athletes are complying to and what all their everything you can imagine of the legal of the legal side of uh, the career Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's one. Even if you take the tax part as well, there are tax attorneys uh, specialized for athletes. You know, because athletes do a lot of international work. Someone's playing in Spain the other day. Now they're in England. Of course, they've gone in England. They're earning. They have their visas and everything. But then the tax part kicks in. So there are uh, specialized attorneys in tax for athletes who are doing that work as well. you know managing managing the tax seeing how much tax is to be paid in which country making sure they're not taxed twice for the same amount and they're complying by all laws for spain and in england and the, the spain and england just an example but of course everywhere wherever they're moving okay so what part of this can't a lawyer do or is it just that they don't have the interest or they they probably have the capabilities to do the same work right but it's just that how how can a sports lawyer differentiate um, himself themselves how can they differentiate themselves sports law is a branch of law at the end of the day i'm a lawyer and i specialize in sports law okay so i have knowledge of sports law how does an ip lawyer differentiate from someone who's working in tax he has a lot of detailed knowledge of intellectual property rights right the other one has a lot of detailed knowledge in tax i have a lot of detailed knowledge with sports so i'm working so this fifa right fifa has its own statutes they have their own big huge statutes where everyone has to comply by um icc has its own statutes all the federations organizations have their own statutes so interpreting those statutes you know what uh, what that means the doping aspect comes in you know how the doping procedure goes so all the knowledge in the legal aspect of sports is what a sports lawyer does at the end of the day we are all lawyers it's just right. we are all specializing in different aspects hmm. interesting interesting so yeah here's the thing a very basic uh, question around the contract part of it you i mean i follow football a lot right so but we see we all do yeah right so we see that um, every when the transfer season start even though players are contractually bound to play for the for the club for let's say till 2023 or till 2022 or whatever they still are able to you know transfer get um, you know whatever um transfer to other clubs basically how is that possible and how can it be done considering that a contract has been set you terminate the contract and you pay the cost for terminating that contract so essentially 
what happens the practical part of it is that uh let's say there's a b and c uh, let's just take the popular example right now that's going on with dortmund jaden sancho and man united yeah so dortmund and jaden sancho had a contract now there is only two parties in this contract at the moment just forget man united both of them had committed that we are going to be uh for the uh, i think his contract was till 22 or 23 i honestly don't remember let's just assume it was till 2023 so they had agreed that he would give them his services and in and in return receive his remuneration till 2023 now there's one party who wants to terminate the contract and right now that's Jaden Sancho because he wants to move so in essence he's terminating his contract because he wants to move now what do you do when you terminate your contract you pay the cost mm, okay so the, so the transfer fees that they're now paying is essentially in essence a the cost of terminating that contract and that gets negoti- negotiated so when you say that man united is paying his transfer fee it's actually the cost of terminating that contract so when you terminate that contract now that contract is terminated now he's free to sign a new contract because while he he has a contract he cannot sign another one this case can only happen when an athlete is in the last 6 months of his contract So let's say Sancho's uh, contract is expiring in what's it now July. Let's say contract is expiring in January or December. So within the last six months of his contract, he is free to sign with with any other club without terminating his contract and um, agreeing that transfer fee and move out of that six months. He has to play those six months, of course. He can't move within those six months, but within those last six months, he's free to sign a contract with any other club, which is not the case if. there are more than 6 months remaining on the contract and that is why we say that the player is known as a free agent because at the end of 6 months his contract is done so the other party is not paying any transfer or contract termination fee to the initial holder or the yeah the initial holder of the player hmm okay okay so so in those 6 mu- if it was within those 6 months w- wouldn't the he's still not a free agent right um see it, it's july right now yeah. let's assume again his contract is expiring in january so within july to january he can sign a contract with man united without even talking to his club and without even terminating his contract but that contract cannot begin he cannot give his services to man united before the term, before january so his contract runs down on january 30th so he cannot play or you know be associated with man united in any way before january 30th right and then he let's say he just joined from 1st of february so when he has made that switch from 30th january to 1st of february he has actually he has not paid any contract termination fee mm. so there has been no transfer fee so that is okay. why you say he went as a free agent no one paid uh, for him okay. except his salary and wages okay he pay for buying the player understood understood okay so but then okay so basically if it's within those 6 months the, even the the club doesn't have to pay basically the club doesn't have to pay transfer fees right if um yeah. he's going to join yeah. from 1st feb 
yeah if you want him urgently let's say it's july and if you want him um, it, it's urgent i want him next month uh-huh. uh, obviously i have to pay for those five months right, right right but then but if i want him to join you know in february i don't have to pay mm-hmm. okay 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 so have there been cases where you know i i do notice this where they you know immediately give the player a new contract and then uh, also probably transfer the person in the same transfer window as well is that because the club can probably make some more money the first right because the longer the because the longer the duration of contract is left the more remuneration you are receiving as the holder Sancho has six months left on his contract. They'll probably pay five million, ten million. But now, when he has five years remaining, there's a lot bigger contract value on it. The value is immense. So now, if I'm selling him, I'm selling him five years of service remaining on the contract rather than six months of service remaining on the contract. Mm-hmm. So it's essentially four and a half years that I'm paying extra for, and that four and a half years again, that amount is decided on the value. of right. the player in the market right 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 so but then who has complete control because we also hear that uh, we also hear the club saying no he is contractually bound by um by the club to play for them till 2023 or 2022 we can't let him leave so we hear things like that where the club isn't letting the player go so the, it has to be agreed by both parties right the uh the yes. thing yes okay so even if the even, even if the club is willing the other clubs willing to pay the transfer fees it has to be agreed by uh the player and his parent and his club at the moment there has to be an agreement between three parties uh the club who is buying the club who is selling and the athlete himself right so when you uh there is no one actually has total control i think the more control is on the side of the club because it's it's obviously the players want to move the club's not going anywhere but mm-hmm. since you're contractually bound given that neither the player or the club has breached any of their contractual obligations the moment you breach your contractual obligations it's a different thing but if you have not breached any of your contractual obligations you can you have to perform your duties as per the contract if the club is not letting you leave It's the choice. Basically, okay. they can they can they can say that you're contracted. You have a job. Just compare it to any other job offer. Right, you have right, a contract right. with some place or in different places. Obviously, you can give a month notice and you know I want to leave. Smart mm-hmm. doesn't work that way and doesn't work that way in football. So you have to be contractually bound. But then again, we all know in sport it's a common practice, and you don't want someone playing for putting on your shirt who doesn't want to be there. right 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 so so it just happens mostly it happens and you know you do understand why clubs don't want to uh, let go of a player when they're undervalued mm-hmm. so there is constant communication between the three parties you know mm-hmm. let's say i i, I want to leave I, i'm playing in club i'm playing in club a i'm uh, there's club c coming from me and my, assuming my market value is 50 million and they're offering the club 20 million so the club is going to come to me and say see your market value is 20 million you have to understand no matter how much you want to go we can't let you go at such a big loss 
So there, there needs to be a better offer from them. So the athletes understand that as well because the game has commercialized and professionalized so 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 much in the past years that the athletes know that their market value is a thing. Who sets the market and value? it's a lot of factors there's no nobody sets a perfect market value it just there's a lot of metrics that go behind uh, your performances you know and everything your age your performances your current uh, deal all of that just keeps going up and down right. you, you hear a play, for example granit xhaka right now he performed wonderfully at the euros now you're saying his market value is going up hmm. you know people are bidding in an extra 10 million how true or that isn't you can't really say right. then again these these are the sort of metrics all i'm saying is that the performance aspect again plays a matter mm. right you were saying something before i cut you off no this okay. is it okay um all right and um where does financial fair play come in do you guys work on this as well like with the organizations and um, financial fair play and stuff like that financial fair play is something that honestly has the the capacity to breach financial play fair play honestly is only in the capacity of a few clubs in the world right now so everything we're doing the contracts we're handling we're no way breaching financial fair play so we all uh, well fair with that and mostly the financial fair play aspects come in the side of clubs since i'm not working for a club I'm not working for a club right now. I'm working for a law firm. Right. I'm working with individual athletes, right? Right. So they're not reaching any financial fair play. It's all on the club side. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, financial fair play is always an ongoing conversation. You know, with the huge transfer and the inflated transfer fees, it's always a conversation. But then, of course, again, those clubs who have the you know who have the capability to spend that much, they also have their own legal teams. who know how to go about the financial fair play aspect who know how to circle around mm-hmm. those things there there's always loopholes in law there's yeah. always loopholes even in every perfect part of law so the best lawyer finds those loopholes and the more you can pay the better lawyer you can get mm-hmm. so so there is it's easy financial fair play honestly i don't think even with the man city incident that happened uh let's just leave that for it's a little controversial right exactly exactly because even uh, uh since you're not saying it i can tell but i had a podcast uh, with someone who's uh working in the financial side of it uh, last year and uh, that was when uh, i'm a united fan and uh, that was when we were probably i was we were f- fighting for the fourth place and i guess um there was there were issues with man city so i was asking him what are the chances of them actually being uh, you know disqualified from the champions league and he said no not going to happen no chance it was never going to happen right even though at that time there was it was uh, i mean we as someone who's not in the in the field or uh, as a fan we all of us thought that it it can very well be possible that um, even if we finish fifth the man city maybe you know banned for for a year or two and uh, but he said there's no chance so yeah it's the loopholes part of it probably yes there is for for many different reasons and one of them being the legal loopholes mm-hmm. uh they're never going to get charged for it 
So, okay. So, okay. Since you mentioned that it has to be both parties, so this is probably also why when um, uh, Madrid didn't want uh, bail, he he could choose to do whatever he wanted in his free time. He didn't have to leave, since he is getting paid his wages and stuff. Interesting. That's true. If if even if you want to sell me, someone has to buy me, right? Right. And there's a con. There's a contract. If I'm turning up for training every day, um, as long as I'm fulfilling my contractual obligations, you have to pay me. Mm. Let's just say, my, what in my, in the contract you've laid down my duties, and the duty is turning up to training every day, taking care of my health to the best of my abilities, and you know, making sure that I'm the fittest for my club. As long as I'm doing that, you have to pay me. Now, if you don't want to pick me or play, uh, you don't want to pick me or play me. That's your choice. Well, then again, Bail actually Bail actually didn't care that much or whatever he had. Those were his issues. But for someone, let's say, I want to play. I'm being unfairly treated. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm turning up. I'm doing my best, but you're treating me unfairly. So we have a lot of cases as in that uh, in that as well because there have been many athletes who have been playing well. uh but then again the clubs have isolated them for some reason they've sent to train them with the b team they've treated them unfairly and that again is constituted of breach of contract but then again this part is extremely i think this is one of the most gray area in football where, because it's very tough to prove that you know how did they treat you unfairly in training mm. there's no there's no actual metric for that right you, you know they you sent to train me with the b team he the coach might say that you're not good enough for the a team mm. now that's his personal decision right if it's in the contract that i'll only play for the a team that's a different thing but then again this is with mostly high profile cases what about right. the lower leagues what about someone playing under the 15th position in the league and lower on what in the what about in the second division mm-hmm. you can't have that guarantee no club would want to provide you that guarantee Mm-hmm. and then again there's a lot of mischievous clubs as well who actually want to get out of the contract mm-hmm. so legally they can't get out of the contract so they have to find ways for you to you know just put up on a right. case in the court for breach of contract mm-hmm. interesting okay so when it comes to high profile players and uh, these contracts how much power do you think um, they have in general in terms of affecting the play during matches so why uh, uh, i'm i'm talking about the players so just uh, i'll give an example can a neymar or um, or cr7 have it in their contract that they're going to take all the free kicks in the match and there it has to be guaranteed that you have to they have to play uh at least 30 matches a uh, a 30 matches out of 40 or you know it's guaranteed that they will be in the starting lineup when they're fit uh, do can the high profile players have such things in their contract out of those three things you mentioned only one of them is there which is that you'll play minimum of these number of matches in the season okay and it's not mostly even with the high profile players it's even if you go a little less high profile it's with a lot of players that they put that upon these number of matches i'll have to play and of course that's not a very common practice 
rather it's put in a way for athletes that uh, you know if you make out of if you if you if you appear for 75% of the games during the season you'll get this much amount as a bonus mm. if you appear for 60% games of the season you get this much amount of a bonus so that financial aspect works as a motivation for the athletes you know to get better let's just say that i play two more games in a season i'm going to i'm, I'm making it down to 75% now mm-hmm. and that 75% the moment i play 75% matches of the season i'm allowed uh, i'm eligible to get a million dollar bonus so i have that motivation you know to feel better to get fit right for those two matches and i'll get a million dollar bonus so mm-hmm. that is one thing like the it's very common in a lot of contracts but you know just to say i'll take all the free kicks and i have to be in the starting lineup that's never a guarantee okay. you, can, you if you wanted you if you wanted you can ask for your agency and your lawyer to put it put forth to the club but no club is going to ever agree it okay. agree for it for obvious reasons mm-hmm. so it is it is a demand it can be a demand from your end but it's never going to be met mm-hmm. fair enough Fair enough. Okay, so we've spoken a lot about uh, football. Uh, you know the law regarding player contracts in football. How is it different with individual sports? With individuals in individual sports, like let's say tennis or badminton. Um, how are there player contracts in any way apart from um, with the sponsors? Apart from the sponsors, are there certain contracts uh, players uh, have yeah. with the association they have with their coaches okay players have they have their own they have their entire coaching department right they have their own coaching team so they have contacts with their coaches the first contract is that then uh, there is no contact with the federations they're playing for the associations they're playing for you just have to register if mm-hmm. i'm it is basic if if you're going for a local football tournament local tennis tournament you have to put in your registration right you have to pay some amount of registration fee you have to send in your details mm-hmm. it's the same if you're playing for any sport you have just have to send in your registration that's it right but your contracts are mostly sponsorship it's with your coaching team and uh, i think that's all that's all i can think of mm. so you may choose to answer this or you may choose not to it doesn't it's fine i don't know what questions i can ask so when it comes to this um this debate with the with the payment and uh, with you know the women's uh, team or the women's players not getting as much as the men but um, as a follower of sports in general from my end my which i think is the main logic is if you bring in viewers you should get paid that much you don't bring in viewers you have no right to ask for it so let's say in megan rapino's case and the us team if people are watching the women's team playing football and they aren't getting paid then that's a debate but you can but can can people make it an argument of sexism and can that hold up um, on court where if based on laws or whatever can people say no this is sexism that uh, yeah male uh, male people players are getting paid more and um, we demand more can do lawyers have the power to influence those decisions 
employees do have the power to mold it that way but how 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 far that how far ahead that will go backed up by the actual numbers of course but, uh, of course there there is a disparity in numbers between the men's and the women's game that that's that's not even controversial the numbers are different but taking the sexism aspect you you can take that up in court you, you can absolutely do that but how far ahead that will go in court i'm not sure it it's it's again you you can couple that with uh, you can couple that with other things as well uh again the financial aspect because actually uh, us women soccer brings in a ton of money mm-hmm. a lot more a lot more than one can imagine even when i did my own research i was actually surprised that the us women soccer they call it soccer over there so called that way but it actually does bring a lot of money but if you take that exam if you take that sexism part in court you can take that you're free to do that you can take whatever argument you want in court but how well you're able to present that argument how nicely you're able to you know convince the arbitrators and make and you know prove that this is an actual thing it's upon you mm-hmm. fair enough fair enough all right uh, last question scope of sports law in india considering sports is on the up uh just as a pure practice in terms of sports law it is on the rise it is slow i'm going to tell you it is it is really slow but probably 10 years from now 12 years from now they you'll see a lot of people actually specialize in sports law from these foreign universities and i hope we have one of our own university in india as well who specializes in sports law so we have amazing universities giving us you know sports management courses and with with global exposure as well because mm-hmm. at the end of the day in sport you need to have a global point of view no matter if even if you want to work in india you don't want to go abroad you need to have a global point of view and a little bit of global exposure So mm-hmm. with sports management, we do have a lot of universities. You know, uh, this GISB in Bombay. That yeah, yeah. for me, I think that's the best one. But uh, but in sports law, I I hope there are a lot more universities coming in the future because you'll see a lot of people, you'll see a lot of young lawyers going abroad, getting that uh, specialization, and because of the comparatively pure practice of sports law, that's a little lower here. Uh, compared to the outside world there there are high chances that you know qualified professionals from here might settle abroad mm-hmm. for the money and the growth growth opportunities there mm-hmm. but you know personally i don't want that to happen because there are tons of european lawyers there are tons of american lawyers who are working over there you know they're all immigrating everywhere and when you have your own indian experts even them going over there i, I you don't blame them you can't mm-hmm. blame them because of course at the end of the day you want to make that money and you want to work in sports but for the long run we need to have our own lawyers specialized sports law sports mm-hmm. lawyers in india you know have a strong indian sports law market so probably uh, in the 10 to 12 year in 10 to 12 years from now it will be a lot better position we'll be in a lot better position than we are in now it's on the rise but it's pretty slow right now but it will definitely be something that will come up soon Mm-hmm. perfect perfect so um what are you up to nowadays like um uh where are you working and uh, where can people get in touch with you if uh, they want to 
I'm working. It's a law firm based in Madras. Uh, I'm working with them, and my friend has a startup in Bangalore. It's a sports management agency. Uh, uh, they started out last year in 2020 in the middle of the pandemic, and uh, the what they what we're doing is providing athletes a proper 360 degree support system. You know, for their career planning, their social media. a management a contract negotiation bring them sponsors and the post career planning as well so it's the entire management aspect in that regard that i've been working with them as well and the sports law part i've been doing as well in the law firm with madrid and uh, if you want to reach me there's my linkedin there's my instagram uh, i can drop in my email id as well you're free to reach me anywhere perfect perfect so um we'll have all the links on the show notes and uh, if you want to get in touch with uh, kushagra for any help and uh, anything of that sort please do get in touch and uh, um thanks thanks a lot man really appreciate it um, i know you have a meeting now but uh, um thanks for coming down for this interview and uh, i hope a lot of it'll help raise awareness around law sports law in general and uh, probably Help set up something here as well. Thanks a lot. It was my pleasure. And honestly, given the craze and the support we have for football in India, uh, I I don't see it's a problem in the future. It's just that we all have this. We all have crazy amount of information, crazy amount of passion. All we need is a perfect support system, a right support system to go up. That's all about it. Mm-hmm. And that will come up soon. It's definitely going to come up soon. Definitely. All right. Thanks, Kushagra. My pleasure.